We are diving into James chapter 3 as we continue our Life Hacks series today. And James chapter 3 is all about the power of our words. The power that we have when we say things to speak life or speak death into people. And I was thinking about how important it is that we take times and opportunities and significant moments and just speak life and encouragement into people. <laughs> I was thinking about the power of our words. I've got, I've got little kids, uh, 11, 6, and 5. And uh, there's a phrase that gets said in my house a lot more than I ever imagined it would. And the phrase goes a little something like this. Maybe you've heard it before. Use your words. Use your words. Now, when my kids were little and they didn't have words, they would just scream. And you begin to, as a parent, identify the different types of screams that your kids do. There are some screams that you can ignore. The, I'm not getting my way right now scream, right? That doesn't require an immediate response. As a matter of fact, that usually requires a volume increase on the television. Just kidding, dads. Uh, <laughs> but there's other screams. There's the pain scream. You recognize that scream right away. And it's like there's a spring in your chair or whatever. And you'll immediately respond to that scream. Sometimes there's just like a general scream and you come over and you're trying to decipher that. And that seems to be the scream that happens in my house the most nowadays. And oftentimes I'll walk into the room and there'll be just volume escalating, volume escalated. And I'll walk in and I'll say, okay, what's going on here? And it's just like this, rah, and I'll have to stop and say, okay, use your words. Now here's the power of your words. One of them will eventually go, well, the problem is they took my thing. Well, something happens once they communicate what the actual need is. I can actually engage and I can help solve the problem. But until you communicate, I can't actually engage and help solve your problem. So usually it looks something like this. Take the thing, hand it back over. And then this person goes, I had it first. Take the thing, hand it back over. I had it first. Take the thing, put it in my pocket. Problem solved. Maybe that's just my parenting strategy. <laughs> but it's a powerful thing when we learn to use our words. I'm teasing a little bit this morning. As I did some research, I was thinking about how much do we really talk? And I was doing some research and the research I found said that about one fifth of our lives, we spend either talking, blogging, writing, communicating in some way. One fifth of our lives we spend. The research I, said, I saw said every day we could fill up 50 pages of a book with just our words and the things that we say. Now, some of you, everyone look forward right now so that the husbands don't look at their wives and the wives don't look at their husbands. Some of you could fill up 100 pages with the words that you use every day, and some, like me, right? And some of you are like 20-page people. But on average, about 50 pages a day worth of words that come out of our mouths. One-fifth of our lives talking. I was thinking about how much opportunity we have to speak life and to bless people or to speak things that are a curse to people. Not curse words, that's a whole other thing, but to speak words that are a curse or disappointing to people. And then I started thinking, I wonder if one-fifth of our lives are the words that come out of our mouths, I wonder how much God cares about what we do with one-fifth of our lives. And so James is going to walk us into a conversation James the pastor writing to followers of Jesus, to brothers and sisters of God, about just how important it is that we use our words well. And he opens the conversation actually a little bit earlier in James chapter one, before he gets to James chapter three. And he says this, he goes, my dear brothers, 
take note of this. Everyone. Think of that. Think about that for a second. That's everyone. That's you. That's me. It's the person next to you. It's the person you see on the street. Everyone. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Just let that get in you for a second. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I have a sneaky suspicion this morning that if you just got this part right, I mean, we're going to walk into James. We're going to break down his illustrations. We're going to get a little bit deeper in the word of God today. But I'm pretty sure that if we got this part right, there's some homes that would get transformed. There's some marriages that would get transformed. There's some relationships at work that would get transformed. There's some neighborhood relationships that might get transformed. There's some friendship circles that would get transformed. If you just got it into your heart and into your mind that everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Think about that. Think about if you put that on your phone, maybe set your phone alarm so that every time your phone goes off, that just popped up as a little reminder. Before I talk to this person, before I engage in this next conversation, God, help me to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to becoming. I bet some of the biggest fights, arguments, problems you've had in your life, one of the two of you involved didn't do this very well. As a matter of fact, let's be honest. I'm a guy who likes to talk a lot. Being quick to listen is a struggle for me. You know what happens when a lot of us are listening? We hear enough so that now we're just waiting for a break in the conversation so that we can start talking and we're no longer actually listening at all. We hear just enough. So it's like, oh, I know what you're gonna say. And it's like, we're like a racer. We're just ready to go in and they breathe. <gasps> and you're like, well, okay. And then you jump in and you like, <laughs> dive right in there, right? And James is like, don't be that guy. Don't be that person. Be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. I think we could spend a lot of time just talking about what it looks like to be slow to become angry, but we'll get to that in a little bit. It's funny as we start talking about words because sometimes we think words, words are just a small thing. It's just, it's just the thing I said. All I said, how many times have you heard this expression? All I said was, like our words are just a little small thing, but here's the thing. Sometimes very small things have a huge impact. I was thinking about two years ago, I was at summer camp. Uh, maybe it was three years ago now. I was at summer camp and I was playing catch. I was playing football with a, with a bunch of high school guys. And, you know, we're having that manly thing where you just, how far can you throw a ball? Because that's a just rite of passage with high school boys. And we're throwing a ball and we're throwing a ball and we're out kind of, and there's trees around and stuff. And I look up and I go, wow, there's a huge beehive in this tree. I bet nobody can hit that beehive with this football. To which every male's chest hair just pops. I'm going to be the one to hit that beehive, right? It took about three throws. I won't say who hit it, but somebody did. And there was about a half a second of just amazing, right? The ball goes up, boom. You hear this thump and everyone's like, yeah. And then there's, during that half a second, the beehive started doing this, boof, and it hits the ground. Now, I got to tell you something. There was probably seven or eight burly 
manly, testosterone-filled high school boys and me. And within seconds, shirts were flying off. People were running <laughs> with everything they have. There were squeals and octaves that I didn't know that male voices could get to those octaves. I thought that was a female octave only. And we're flying and we are running because here's the thing. Sometimes very small things have a huge impact. And we know this to be true. Sometimes very small things have a huge impact impact. Even though it doesn't seem like a big deal, our words are powerful. I was thinking about the power of our words. Think about this for just a minute, because this is, this is crazy to think about. In the room today, one of you in here could say something to me that theoretically could ruin my day. Just ruin my day. Could leave, send me from this place emotionally distraught, insecure. You could say something mean, harmful, spiteful. You have the power with your words. Theoretically, you could ruin, I could ruin your day. I could speak some, you could ruin somebody else's in the room day. Someone you barely know, someone you know really well, with just a phrase, just a turn of a phrase. Something that you said, you have the power. You could speak something into someone's life today in this moment, at this place, that might lead them to a place of sadness, might bring them to a place where they're emotionally distraught, might speak to something that was an insecurity, might ask, cause them to question. And you know this is true because you've been around people who have said things that have done that to you, or you've done that to someone else and realized it. The flip side of that is also true. In this room today, Theoretically, you could be in this room today and say something to me that lights up my world, that makes me feel good and hopeful, that inspires me, that brings life and energy and speaks that into my life. I might leave this place absolutely believing that the God of the universe can do anything and he wants to do it in it and through me because of something you said. On the flip side of that, I might say something like that to you. Have the ability to speak something into you that brings life and hope and energy and potential and releases that in you. You could do that for somebody else. Do you think about the power of your words? And any given time, in any given place, you have the ability to do that to me, to yourself, to somebody else. And yet we say things like, well, I was just saying, I was just saying. And we act as though our words maybe aren't that powerful. So I started thinking about the word of God and I started thinking about who God is. And I started thinking about some of the first things that we know that God did. And one of the first things that we know that God does, the scripture tells us, and God said, let there be light. God speaks. As a matter of fact, when he speaks, things actually happen. His voice has creative power to speak and then life and change and transformation happens. Things that were not suddenly are. Why? Because God spoke. That's incredible. God's creative process is unleashed in the scripture through his voice, through what he says. And then the Bible says, in our image, let's create man. And we realize that we were designed in the image of a God who when he speaks, he creates things. And then we wonder why we just say things and it has so much impact. 
you look at the story of creation and here's Adam and the first job Adam's given is to, is to uh, take care and manage the garden. And the first time we see him doing that, he's naming animals. And here's what's crazy. The things he named, they are that thing. He has authority. He sees a thing hopping around. He's like kangaroo. And it's a kangaroo because he named it because he had authority to declare what that thing is. Why? Because he's created in the image of God. As little image of God bearers, when we speak, there's incredible power and authority that comes out of us. And some of you are sweating right now because you're thinking, oh man, I never think about what I say is that big of a deal. And some of you are thinking, that's why. That's why it hurts so much when. Or that's why it felt so good maybe when. So here's James, the brother of Jesus. And he's teaching and he's pastoring and he's trying to talk to this next first generation and beyond of followers of Jesus. And he's trying to get them to understand something. Back to James 1, he's trying to get them. He's like, listen, because of the power that happens when you speak, be quick to listen, but slow to speak. And don't let the thermostat reach the top too quickly. Don't let the thermostat reach the top too quickly. So we see in James 3 just how important our words are. And James is going to pastor us and break it down. And we're going to walk through this for a little bit. And I think it's going to have some impact. I hope it hits and, and you get a picture of this because James is clear. He's like, listen, James chapter 3, verse 1, if you're with me, he goes, not many of you should presume to become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. He starts and says, there's some influence positions that you should be concerned because the things that come out of your mouth carry more weight when you're in that position. And so it's a bigger deal if you have that authority in someone's life when you say the thing you say. So you shouldn't just be really excited to go have that authority because there's a expectation with that authority that you use that well. Well, that's pretty powerful. So I started thinking, okay, well, you know, that means not everyone should become, you know, Bible teachers, but it just says teachers. I was thinking, oh, there's lots of ways that we exercise that authority. Some of you exercise that authority at, uh, at children's church and you teach or in the nursery or in your small group and you teach and share there, and you exercise that authority. Some of you have that authority at your job. You teach. You explain things. You break things down. You bring the team in, and you talk about what's going to happen, and you teach in that environment. Some of you are moms or dads, and you teach in your home, and you give advice, and you coach, and you direct, and you guide. It's not just the guy up front with the microphone. James is saying, when you're in that role, be aware of the weight and authority that you're carrying. Not many of you should presume to dive into that if you're not gonna be aware of the weight that you hold when you do it. He starts with that conversation and then look what he goes on to, and I love this. Verse two, he says, because we all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man able to keep their whole body in check. He says, listen, everybody stumbles in different ways. But if you're able to never be at fault in what you say, you're perfect and you're able to keep your whole body in check. Well, we know from the scriptures, there's only been one perfect man. 
Spoiler alert, that's not me, that's not you. So there's only been one person who was able to perfectly control the things that they said. So I love this because James is like, listen, let's have a moment of clarity and self-awareness. None of us are gonna get this perfect. All of us are gonna struggle with some of the things that we say. All of us are going to blow it from time to time. I heard one pastor say that if you teach or you preach, at least 5% of the room at all times will dislike you. Period. Doesn't even matter what you're saying. Just because you're up in front. At least 5% of the room will dislike you just because you're up in front talking. Well, that was encouraging. <laughs> I was like, man, that's tough. If you're a teacher in a classroom, if you're leading a team, whatever it is, if you're up in front, 5% minimum just doesn't like you. And here's the reality. There's a reason to not like every person because every person is gonna blow it on what they say. Every person's gonna give you ammunition to make a decision. Oh, I heard the thing they said and I've made a decision and I don't like them anymore. Every single person is gonna blow it, is gonna tank. I was, oh man. I was uh, speaking just recently at an event and I threw a joke out and it didn't land. I know, I couldn't believe it. I was so shocked that it didn't land that I, instead of just pulling back and moving on, I pushed it further because I was like, they must not have understood how funny I am and how great my words are. So I took it to the next level and it still didn't land. And I pushed all the way to a place I'd never gone before with that joke. And I was like, that's really good. Nothing, crickets. So I just moved on. <laughs> what did I realize, right? Just because I'm up in the front doesn't mean everyone's going to like the words that come out of my mouth. We're all gonna tank. We're all gonna blow it. I remember leaving just thinking, oh my goodness, how did that not happen for me? But here's the reality. We all say the wrong things sometimes. We all need people around us to help point that out from time to time who are nice. My wife does a great job of that. <clears throat> but there's only one person who gets it right all the time, and that's Jesus. So there's this amazing power that we have to make a decision to have some mercy on people because they're not gonna say the right thing every time. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about how, how sometimes we take what we already think about somebody and then we just pick the words that come out of their mouth and make our argument stronger based on what they've said. So if we already have decided we're not gonna like somebody or that they may not like us and we hear them speak, they'll eventually give us whatever piece of information we need to kind of filter through some way so we can make a decision about them that they're not worth our time, whatever it is. Or if we like them, we already wanna give them benefit of the doubt, we'll find our way to kind of make a decision to receive their words differently or a certain way. So that, and then here's, here's where it gets really powerful. Someone asks you about that person says, what do you think of Pastor Mike? And based on, I will have given you enough information because you've heard enough of my words, you can make a decision. Oh, that guy's a disaster. He says this, does whatever it is, right? Or you might say, oh, that guy's great. I'm not fishing for compliments, but you're just whatever, you know, based on whatever. And, and both of you have the same content to work from because the reality is we're all gonna blow it from time to time. So we get to make the decision. Do we believe the best in that person and recognize that we also 
have said the wrong thing from time to time in the wrong moment, the emotions have gotten heated or the brain didn't fully engage or our sense of humor didn't quite connect or whatever it is. So we're going to break down, James, the power of our words and have a little conversation about that. So in verse three, he goes on to say this. He says, we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us. And with that, we can turn the whole animal. Now, I had to think about this for a minute because I'm not a, I, I've, I've ridden a horse before, like, because I think that's just a thing you do in life at one point, but I'm not like a horse guy. Is there anybody here who's ridden horses like significantly a little bit or something? Cool. Yeah, so you know more about this than me. I had to Google. I'm like, how big is a horse really? How much does it weigh? And like, how big of an animal are we talking about here? And really the, the spread is between 800 and almost 2,200 pounds. So this is a huge potential animal. And James is painting an incredible picture. You can have 2,000 pounds of almost wild animal beneath you, but if you have two and a half inches of steel in its mouth, you can direct it where you want it to go. I was watching some uh, people explain how bits and bridles work. And there was a girl, she was talking and she said something I thought was great. And she just said, you know, I've, I have a horse that I work with and I've trained and I've, you know, spent time with and we compete. And he goes, without, and without the bridle and her bridle, the bit and bridle in her mouth, right? I could get her to start, but I couldn't get her to stop. Like I would lose all control. Wow. James says this little thing can shift you here shift you here. He goes on to say, or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Here's the thing I want you to catch, the first power that you have in your tongue. You have the power to direct. You have the power to direct. I was thinking, you know, I haven't ridden a lot of horses and I haven't steered a lot of ships, but I've driven some big vehicles I had my uh, bus driver's license for a while while I was youth pastoring and I used to drive this big school bus and it had like 47 kids in there and we'd go on events and it would be all heavy and it could barely make it up the hill and you know, then we'd go down the hill and it was like terror and the kids will never know how afraid I was driving that, driving that bus down the hill, right? But this giant heavy vehicle had a steering wheel just like this. And with that little steering wheel, I could guide and direct. I could take us north and south and east and west. I could do U-turns. I can get into accidents. I mean, all kinds of things. And James is making that illustration. Think about the weight and the power at your disposal. Remember when you first got your license and you first realized like how much power was there when you pressed the gas pedal? Do you remember that? Like we drive so much now that you don't ever think about it. But when you first got in the car, I won't tell you stories, um, but, but I remember just first getting in the car and just thinking this was going to be no big deal, and then suddenly, you know, I find magically get it into gear because no one trained me and I didn't have my license yet, and then, you know, I pressed the gas and it was just boom, this lunge of power that was in this three-cylinder Chevy Sprint, and I couldn't believe how much power was there, and I had to, like, recalibrate myself. Wow, that's a lot of power. And James is saying, you have to pay attention to how much power is there because you then have the power to direct your life. Your words have the power to direct your life. You, we all know people <clears throat> who can't get their words under control, who can't get their mouths under control. I know people who are highly qualified, great people who have lost jobs because they couldn't stop running their mouth. 
about things they said things they shouldn't have said or, or used words in ways that they shouldn't have used words. How about this? Ever been at a critical moment of a conversation? By critical moment, I mean that moment before you're really fighting. When you're just on the cusp of fighting, you're still having a Christian conversation. You're not fighting yet. Married couples, you know what I'm talking about. And there's a moment wherein you swells up some words. And you know what the words are. I'm not saying that they're like profanity. You just know the words. If you use these words, the conversation's gonna go from here to here. And you have a choice to make. And James is saying the words you use have the power to direct your life. When those words come up and you get ready to use them, they can determine the direction that that conversation goes, that those relationships goes, that your life goes. I was thinking about this. I was thinking in my recent life and memory, I'm pretty sure that I have seen more celebrities or politicians lose their careers over things they said than over things they actually did. I've seen guys, and, and you've seen the stories, where they've done horrific things, committed crimes, and got out of it, and they're just back to work. Yet you say the wrong thing, and there's a soundbite of you saying it, and they're done. Their lives completely derailed by something they said. James is saying the direction of your life is connected to this thing in your mouth. Verse 5. He says, likewise, the tongue, though it's a small part of the body, it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by just a small spark. The tongue is also a fire. It's a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it is itself set on fire by hell. Are you serious, James? He's preaching now. And he's like, listen, you can't take this lightly. You must take this seriously. When he starts talking about hellfire, he's actually talking, uh, he uses the phrase Gehenna that his brother Jesus used a lot as a descriptive picture of hell. Now, Gehenna's a, really pla a real place. I've actually seen the valley of Gehenna when I was there in Israel. We looked outside of the city and here's a valley that's outside of the city and everything in this valley is dead. There's no life there. No one lives there. It's just dead and desolate. And why is it like that? Because back in the Old Testament, when Israel was losing its mind and, and uh, rebelling and running away from God, there was a season where as they worshiped other gods and idols, where they did human sacrifices there in that valley. And there were children that were sacrificed by parents to false gods in that valley. And because of the stigma of that location throughout history, the Jewish people refused to live there, refused to dwell there, refused to plant there, refused to be associated with that place. And because it was outside of the city gates, they had to find some use for it. And they said, hey, that valley is gonna be the valley where we throw our garbage. Because no one else wants to be there and they would throw their garbage there. Well, the garbage would pile up and their strategy for dealing with the garbage was to light it on fire. So Gehenna was an actual place outside of the city that had a stigma of child sacrifice and idol worship and death. And they would throw their trash and their filth and their garbage there and they would light it on fire. And I don't know if you've ever tried to light your garbage on fire, but the smell and the stink and the foulness of it, and it was visible, there'd be a glow and they could see this valley burning with trash and waste. And James uses that same picture for hell that Jesus used for hell and says, it's like a dumpster fire. 
And he says, your tongue has that kind of potential if you are unbridled and uncontained and uncontrolled with it. He says, you may not be heading to hell, but you can go down to hell with your tongue, scoop some hell up and deposit it on somebody if you're not careful. You better get aware of the weight and power and destructive force of your tongue. He goes on to say all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. The second power the tongue has is the power to destroy. It has the power to destroy. He says it's set on fire by Gehenna. I was thinking about fire and the destructive power of, of fire. I have, a, I have a lighter here, right? I use it to light the candle on my desk or whatever other thing I want to catch on fire if I'm bored. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I was thinking about this little spark right here. This is not just the potential to light a candle on fire. Now, I'm from California, here, you don't get it quite as much because it rains a lot, but you do get forest fires and wildfires here from time to time. Where I'm from, there's a whole season of just fire season and everything just burns. And oftentimes, hundreds, if not thousands of acres will get destroyed in a fire. Sometimes hundreds of homes will get destroyed in a fire. And at the end of all of it, there's a big investigation and they're trying to figure out how did this wildfire get started? And you know what it always is? Some guy driving down the highway flicked his cigarette out. Some guy was camping and didn't put enough water on their fire when they left and an ember was still in there and blew away. Some kids shot off fireworks. Just a little spark. Someone didn't go and pour gasoline and, you know, bright torches and, and a rocket didn't hit to ignite this, right? It was just some little small thing. And it has the power and destructive power to cause damage after damage after damage after damage after damage. And you know, this is true. Some of the toughest things, if you look back in your life and think about are connected to harsh things that someone said to you. And it didn't just damage you in that moment. You wake up, you look in the mirror, and sometimes there's a voice in the back of your head. And it's not God's voice, and it's not your voice. It's the voice of somebody else who threw a spark, a little flame, made a comment into your life, and its destructive pattern has continued to consume forward and forward and forward. James says, whoo, that's hell's work. That's what hell does. That's how hellfire consumes a life. He says, that's, that's destructive power. You better be aware of the power and the weapon that you possess, he says, with your tongue. Verse nine, he says, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings. I love this picture. This is the picture I get. I'm cruising down the road. I got my worship music on. I'm just rocking. I'm like, who can stop the Lord? Oh. Someone cuts me off. Oh, I'll kill you. <laughs> and just like that, right? Just like that. James is like, what's this inconsistency? 
with the same tongue that just a moment ago there was worship and praise to God like that. It switches and out comes cursing towards human beings. Now listen to this, who have been made in God's likeness. (laughs) That hurts, right? God's like, how can you worship me and treat someone who's designed in my image like they have no value at all. The same tongue that's trying to, and and I love this because here's here's James, he's breaking it down. He goes, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. Verse 10, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. He's preaching. Pastor James is unloading. He's like, you got the firepower of hell and then you point it at God like it's praise and then you point it at people to destroy them. That shouldn't be. And he gives an analogy. He goes, can both fresh and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear frigs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. I don't use any of those things in day to day, but I've seen an apple tree. And I've never walked up to an apple tree and been like, sweet, an orange, and plucked it off of that tree. That'd be awesome. I could plant one tree and just get whatever fruit I want out of it. But that's not how the world works. That's not how life works. That's not how a tree works. And that's not how you're designed to work. You're not supposed to have both things be present. He goes, you can't have fresh and salt water coming out of the same tap. One's going to contaminate the other. It was funny because I was, I was thinking about like, uh, you know, when you get a soda and you're like, and you get only, you know, Coke out of this one and then Sprite out of this one. And if you, same one gives you Coke and Sprite, it's gross. But now they have machines that are designed to do that, right? And I don't know why, but they're just, you know, complicated. And after like eight minutes, you get the thing you want. And then by the time you hit the thing, it expires and you got to bring it all up again. And it's just like, but it's high tech, so it's cool. So, you know, it's technology, so we appreciate it. But the reality is that two different things aren't supposed to come out of the same thing. I always wonder, I'm like, how much, you know, extra stuff am I getting on a, like, I don't know how that thing works in the background. But he's saying, you can't get, you can't go to the hose and water your plants and then pour soda out of it. This doesn't work. That's two completely different things. And he's saying, when you do that, when you try to praise God, and then as soon as one of his creature creations comes by, you curse that thing. He's like, that's inconsistent. It doesn't make any sense at all. He says, the reality is your words have the power to define you. They have the power to define He goes, whatever's coming out of you is going to tell me what you are. If it's salt water, then you're salty. Stop being so salty. If it's fresh water, then that's who you are. It says if you're you're praising God, that's who you are. But if you're cursing people who he loves, that's who you are. Some of you are like, I I just said this. It's not that big. I just said it. He goes, well, that's who you are then. That's who you are. It has the power to define. It's what's in your heart. What fruit is coming out of your life. If you squeeze a lemon, you get lemonade. What comes out when I squeeze Charlie? beard hair. <laughs> Just all the way through. <laughs> what comes out when I cheat, when I squeeze you? What are you really? If I spent a couple days with you and I listened to all the words that you said and I read all the things that you wrote and posted, 
If I was in your world and I watched what you wrote and I watched what you said and I listened to you, what kind of spring or tree or fruit would I think that you are? James is saying, that's what you are. That's what you are. As the power to define you, he's warning people. Your words not only tell you who you are, but it tells other people who you are. If you leave this place and you're like, oh, I'm a Jesus person. And the first person you interact with, you're like, you blankety blank this blank. It's like, no. It tells other people who you are. He's just pastoring. He's just pastoring. Proverbs 18, 21. Solomon, he's pretty smart. And he says, listen, the tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Life and death. Come on, Solomon, you're exaggerating a little bit. Life and death? Like life and death? Is that like a you know, metaphor? You're talking about like metaphysical life? Like this idea, your best life? Or killing my dreams? No, he's like literally, your tongue has the power of life and death. If you think that's exaggeration, let me give you some information. For years, I did student ministries and spent time with high schoolers, and I've been at funerals of kids that committed suicide, and I've been on campus after a child's taken their life and prayed with kids that have dealt with the devastating fallout of that. Suicide right now is the third leading cause of death among young people, resulting in about 4,400 deaths per year, according to the CDC. 4,400 young people taking their life every year from suicide. The CDC says that for everyone that successfully takes their life, the 4,400, there's 100 that tried and failed. So start doing the math on the number of young people attempting to take their life. Over 14% of high school students have considered suicide and almost 7% have attempted it. It's more than one in 20. Bully victims are usually between two and nine times more likely to consider suicide than non-victims, according to a study by Yale University. A study in Britain found that at least half of suicides uh, from young people are related to bullying, and 10 to 14-year-old girls are the highest risk. According to a stat from ABC News, nearly 30% of students either are bullies or victims of bullying. 30% of students involved in bullying. 160,000 kids a day stay home from school because they're afraid. 160,000 kids a day. Bully-related suicide can be connected to any type of bullying. They said physical, emotional, cyber, verbal abuse. Guys, that's literal life and death connected to the tongue. Why did I give you all of that? Because I want you to understand the depth and the power we have when we say things power that we have. So what's the life hack, Pastor Mike? Help me out here, because I was depressing. Is there hope for us with the tongue? You already said we're all going to blow it. James said no one can tame the tongue. So our goal isn't to tame it. We're not going to be able to tame it. We're going to make mistakes from time to time. Our goal is to figure out how do we bridle it? How do we control it? How do we grow? How do we do it? So I'm going to give you a life hack. I'm going to give you three life hacks to help you manage this, and then we're going to be done. We're almost there. Life hack number one is simply guard your mouth. Guard your mouth. Pay attention to the words that are coming out of your mouth. Proverbs 21, 23, Solomon again nails it. He says, whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. I love this picture. What a great picture. Whoever guards their, house, their mouth and tongue helps that thing that's your core 
who you are, your identity, just relieves the pressure and stress and strain of that. It keeps my soul from trouble. So it makes me think, okay, how am I using my mouth? I heard one pastor say this illustration. I really loved it. It says, before I speak, I wait. Before I speak, I wait. And he gave a little, uh, a little analogy. And he said, why am I talking? Wait. He says, before I speak, when I'm in a critical conversation, when I'm having that moment, I just ask myself in the back of my head before I walk into this, why am I talking? What's the purpose? I need to wait until I can answer that question. Why am I talking? Am I talking because I'm angry? That's probably not the right time to talk. Am I talking because I want to prove myself or impress somebody because I'm trying to win something? Why am I talking? He says, before I do it, I always wait. And that's a fun little acronym and it'll be stuck in your head now too. And it's pretty good. Same thing applies before I post something, before I write something. Why am I doing it? What's my goal? What's my purpose? What am I trying to accomplish here? We have to learn to guard our mouth. The second thing we got to learn to guard is our heart. Life hack part two, guard your heart. In Luke chapter six, Jesus breaks it down for us and it's pretty incredible. Luke chapter six, beginning verse 45. Jesus says, hey, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, the mouth speaks. Now, this is a tough scripture for me. When I was about 15 or so, I just kind of started on this journey with Jesus. And I was a, I was a sharp-tongued young man. Sometimes the things that came out of me, I was really good. Some of us have skill in this area. Some of us are, are people who like after the conversation, you think back, you're like, oh, I wish I would have said this. But in the moment, you're just like, oh, I have to process. And then some of us in the moment, that's like what we live for. Oh, here's my moment. And we're just, un and I was that guy, right? I would just unload, crush people. I was angry. And I read this and I read the words of Jesus. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And it occurred to me, God, I don't think I'm a good man. I don't think I'm a good man because the things that come out of me aren't good. And I remember just feeling this crushing weight of honesty. Just like, Mike, you're not a very good person. You're angry and you're mean. And because of your hurt, you hurt other people. Now, this passage goes on. Actually, the Matthew version goes on. I'm not sure if the Luke version goes on. Matthew version goes on and says, for you'll have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word you've spoken. Now, I didn't put that on the screen, but that's a horrific passage of scripture for me because I know we're gonna be there for eternity, but it is gonna take a while for me to <laughs> give an account for every careless word that I've spoken. And I can't imagine sitting there with Jesus and the list is, thank God for his forgiveness and grace. But Jesus's words, you're gonna give an account for the careless words that you said. So I did something as a high schooler because I didn't wanna be this anymore. And I didn't know how to guard my heart. I wrote this verse on a card and I put it in my wallet. Now, I didn't have anything else in my wallet at the time because I was a high schooler. So I had lots of room in there for this card. And I put it in there. Now, because James says nobody's perfect, I would tank all the time. And I would make mistakes and I would say things I wish I didn't say and I'd leave the conversation. I was like, oh. And every time I did, 
I would pull this card out and I would read it. And I would say, God, I know that this isn't a Mike's words issue. This is a Mike's heart issue. Just because I have this creative vocabulary, when I point it at someone and use it this way, that's not a words issue. That's not a, I was just saying. That's not, right? Because there's some of us and we're just like, oh yeah, no, we just say whatever comes to our mind. We're just that person, right? We just say, you know, I just, I was just talking. I just said it. I didn't even, I didn't even mean, I didn't realize that that was gonna hurt your feeling. I was just talking. I just said it. And, and, and you're like, I, I'm, it's not, it's not a heart issue. I just say things. I don't think about what I say. And, and, and Jesus would say, no, 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 no. You don't have a words issue. You have a heart issue. You're like, oh, I was just joking. Okay, cool. You have a heart issue. Oh, I was just, I was just, you know, at your expense making myself feel better. I did I was being real honest, right? Well, okay, okay, you have you have a heart issue. And I began just reading this over and over again and just asking God, saying, God, would you help me? Because I have a heart issue. And then suddenly things would happen. I would be getting close to one of those moments where I was about to explode, and I would go, oh, don't do that. And I would back off and I would read my little card and I would go, okay, what's coming out of me? What's going to come out of me? And I'd go back into those conversations and I'd try to do it in a way that wasn't just explosive. Sometimes I had to wait and just pause for another time, but I'd make sure my heart was ready. Sometimes I had to pray. Can you imagine praying before a hard conversation? <laughs> Some of us, come on, we've been at home and we're just like, oh, I can't wait. I'm going to have this conversation. I'm so and it doesn't even occur to us before we walk into that conversation to go, okay, God, just before, I know I have every reason to unload. And if that knucklehead doesn't receive this well, just watch what happens next, right? Can you imagine if we just took a second and said, okay, God, is this what you want me to say and how you want me to respond? Is this what you, does this bring honor to you? Is my heart okay here or is, am I hurt? Am I angry? Am I just responding? Sometimes I have to call a mentor because I'm not even aware. I'm so angry that I can't figure out what God's thinking about what I'm thinking about. And I'll call someone I trust, a pastor or a friend or a mentor. And I'll just say, listen, I'm about to have this really hard conversation. Can I practice on you? <laughs> and then you tell me if what comes out of me sounds like Jesus at all, or if it just sounds like Mike. Like, am I close to the heart of God here? What am I trying to do? I'm trying to guard my heart. I just had that conversation not too long ago. I'm really mad at somebody. And they were a knucklehead. And I think it would help their life if I destroyed them. It would help me. And I talked to a friend, a mentor, and they said, listen, is that really who you want to be? Is that your job in the kingdom to go find everyone who did a knuckleheaded thing and chew them out to the ground? Or are you supposed to just love them and believe the best and maybe have an honest conversation when your heart's a little better? <sighs> Fine. <laughs> what is that? That's guarding my heart. The last thing James would want us to know to do. The last life hack is pretty simple. It just says, guard your peace. And I love he wraps up this passage in James 3. I'm gonna skip to the end here. He says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit. It's impartial and it's sincere. And love this. He says, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. I love that he finishes the thought with this idea. Be a peacemaker. Protect peace when you can. Be intentional about developing peace. And sometimes I think we just go into a conversation and the, the last thing on our mind is the peace that we want to have at the end of it. Even if we've guarded our words, 
We still, let's face it, only about 7% of communication, according to most studies, is verbal anyways. The rest is our tone and our body language and how we say it. And you've been in those conversations where it's like, fine, I forgive you. I said the right thing. I said the right thing. But I didn't go in there to create peace. My heart wasn't to make peace. I just wanted to end on a flourish. <laughs> yeah, I love you. Fine. Right? We recognize that. Peacemaker is also the person who's willing to ask for forgiveness when they've tanked it. Who's willing to recognize, all right, I know you're not perfect, and I was trying to point that out. But in my pointing that out, <laughs> I tapped into some of my not perfect. <laughs> and since nobody gets this 100% right, let me just have an honest moment and say I messed that one up. And James says, sow that. Deposit that into your relationships. Be that kind of person who says, hey, I may not get this 100% right. And you might have caught me in a bad moment. And that thing that came out of me wasn't real good. And I just need to tell you, I'm sorry for that. And the thing we were talking about before isn't the issue anymore. Now the issue is how I responded to that. And I'm just sorry. And I'd like there to be some peace. James says, that's the thing you go after. It's pretty funny. Would you stand with me? We're gonna close. But I was thinking about how powerful and destructive the potential of our tongue is and how James says, you can tame a wild animal before you can tame your tongue. It's just not gonna happen. We're all gonna have some problems with it. And I was trying to think, I was like, wouldn't it be nice if there was just some basic tongue safety protocols? You know, like, like when, I, when I learned to shoot a firearm, there were some basic protocols, they said. And those protocols when dealing with a dangerous weapon are wise. The first, the first thing they taught me was never point it at something you're not willing to destroy. Can you imagine if we took that same mentality to our tongues? Never, never point that thing at something you're not willing to destroy. Never unleash that unless you're okay with destroying that thing. Right? The second thing they told me was always treat it like it's loaded. Never just go, oh, it's not a big deal. We can just play around with it right now. Oh, I was just joking. I didn't mean to hurt you. Always treat it like it's loaded. Always treat it like it has the potential to speak either life or death because the scripture tells us it does have that potential. So never just use it like it doesn't have the potential to hurt or destroy someone that's irresponsible and immature. And then the last thing they taught me, the three basic rules was always consider the background and the backlash and what's behind and what else might get hit and what else might get splashed on? Can you imagine if we treated our words that way? The basic understanding that if I let this loose, there's going to be residual impacts of the way I say this, or the way I treat this person, the way, I, the way I invest in them. I could either be producing life in waves behind them or death in waves behind them. How am I going to do it? Now, for some of you, this has been like, oh, yeah, I get this. I've done this forever. But I'm telling you, as a guy who stands up in front and teaches this stuff all the time, this is really hard to, to deal with, especially when James lets me know I'm never going to get it all the way right. So I got to remain humble and be in guard mode and be responsible. And for some of you, this has been like, oh, please just stop. It hurts so bad. Good. Why? Why does it hurt? Because Jesus is reforming and conforming your heart. He wants to bring life to places where there's been defeat and death. And I want there to be life. I want that for you. And I can imagine 
Oh, this is exciting. As we, as we kind of Celebration Center 2.0 unleashes on the community and God starts taking us into places and we start winning uh, 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 influence and relationship with our neighbors, with our community, that we could be agents of life speaking change. We could speak life into places. We could look at things and say, you don't have to be who you've always been. There's more available for you. There's healing available for you. There's life available for you. There's transformation. You can have more than what you've ever thought before. Why? Because the scripture tells us that, and I'm here to speak life into you. Well, you don't understand what I've been through, but I understand what was done for you so that you can be free. How amazing would that be if that's what came through us and out of us? So that's how I'm going to pray. I'm just gonna pray that we be the people that guard our mouths, guard our heart, guard our peace and are ambassadors of life. And that's gonna be my dream and I hope that becomes your dream. God, thanks. Thanks for this group right here <laughs> who, who, who in, when confronted with your word, so much of it gets into us and just challenges us and transforms us. I pray for those of us that just need to learn to guard our mouth. We have just treated like sometimes it's loaded and sometimes it's not and not had the wisdom to just guard that. I pray we'd guard it. I pray we'd wait. I pray we'd be wise with that. For those of us that have had heart issues that we haven't even recognized as heart issues, God, would you challenge us and change us and transform us so that we could bring the good things that are stored out of our heart into the world, into life? And for those of us that just need to be peacemakers, would we approach those difficult conversations with a heart to be a peacemaker? God, we're not always gonna control it. It takes two people to make peace but we can make a decision to be peacemakers. And when we blow it, would you give us the courage and the wisdom to go to repent, to be honest, to heal, to book those conversations and deal with it so that freedom and life could get released. And I pray that that would begin to transform homes, families, marriages, relationships, friendships, work environments, our neighborhoods, this community. I pray it would come out of us and through us and that we'd be known as those people that took that incredible weapon and used it to speak life. That's who I want to be. In Jesus' name.